the best teaching will always be to teach at the point of need. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Well, Andrew, you might recall that last week we did an Ask Andrew Anything special edition. And it went by so quickly. It did go by so quickly. In fact, we ran out of time. And so you agreed that it would be okay for us to break tradition and to do an Ask Andrew Anything over two episodes. So here we are. And if you're ready, I've got a bunch more questions to ask you. Well, let's shoot because we've got to get through every question. That was part of our our mode of operating. No question left unasked. This or or unanswered. (laughs) You can ask us. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, it goes together well. It does go well. well. But just, just, just for you listeners, just in case you have a question that we didn't answer on a podcast, just know that we have qualified people on our customer service team that will answer your questions, no matter how obscure the answer might be. So, Andrew, Laura is asking, what tools do you recommend to help dyslexic students become more independent? We've tried voice-to-text, but found that it isn't that accurate, and I have to sit there and help them individually. I'm looking for ways to help them do it themselves and still be able to read what they write. Well, again, I it would be handy to have a better sense of the age of these kids, but we'll guesstimate they're probably in the 10 to 13 mm-hmm. zone. They're wanting to be more independent. Right. Yeah. And I don't think you would necessarily try speech to text with a child much younger than that. Mm-hmm. Although it is remarkable the incredible accuracy that just an iPhone mm-hmm. is, po- it is capable of Compared to just, you know, 10 years ago when you had Dragon Dictate and you had to sit there and train the computer to hear your voice. So my guess is that as kids get older and their speaking gets a little bit clearer and they work with voice-to-text technology pretty little more, they'll get the hang of it. Just as we do Mm -hmm. if we're talking to our phone. One thing I really like about that is you have to tell the phone, you know, you have to tell the the computer what punctuation you want. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it 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 does capitals automatically most of the time, but you have to tell it if you want a comma or a period, you know, or a colon or an exclamation point or a question mark. So there is some slight interesting advantage to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I noticed a couple of my kids kind of went through as they learned to use their phone in, you know, in their teenage years like mm-hmm. that. So, so I think the potential for that is great. And you don't even have to be dyslexic to have that as an advantage. My daughter, who was a strong early reader, went to writing classes, knew totally what she was doing. 
she went to high school for a year, not quite, but she was in a school. And so I was not giving her assignments. Other people were. Mm -hmm. So one day I was passing by her room, which is probably 15, I guess. And I heard her just talking. And I stopped and I was listening. I thought, this is not a, a phone conversation with anyone. It's too weird. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I kind of knocked on her door, went in and and she was dictating a paper she was writing for a high school class mm. to her phone. Oh. And then she would email it or text it to her computer. And then she would edit it. Mm -hmm. And she found this to be the most efficient way to do that mm -hmm. at that time. And I thought, wow, that's, you know, that's a digital native. Right. <laughs> so if that was helpful for her, think how much more helpful, you know, for kids who are still burdened by the slowness mm -hmm. uh, that the dyslexic things bring. I don't know if she continued to do that. I don't know if my son still does that, you know, in for papers he's writing for school. You know, he had, this is totally a side point, he has a teacher who wanted 25 two-paragraph answers to questions written that's 50 paragraphs in one week. And this is at, uh, you know, this is a, a, a Look, community health sciences course. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, kind of, woo. Anyway, he said, yeah, I can whip it out. It's just a lot to have to do. So uh, I think for a lot of kids, the this going between dictating and then editing is going to be more and more. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mentioned last week, Milton and Hinty wrote whole books dictating them. Right. Something else that you mentioned last week that I think would be perhaps helpful is you can change the settings on your phone for accessibility so that the font is much bigger. Mm -hmm. Because you mentioned how important it is for these students to have bigger font. Right. So maybe that would that in itself would help. Right. You know, and another thing we know that, you know, there's the world of dysgraphia diagnoses mm -hmm. and dyslexia diagnoses. And I suppose there are a few people who, you know, have zero problem reading and a huge problem with writing or vice versa. But most kids are kind of overlapping and, and both are mm -hmm. irksome mm -hmm. to them. Yeah. Use one of my favorite yes. words. So another idea that comes to mind for, for her would be using a font that is specifically designed mm. to make reading easier for dyslexics. There are a few, and I don't know right offhand the names of those, but I think it would be pretty easy to find them. And we'll put some links in the show notes for some suggestions. Um, but I, I tried one of those fonts with my son. I printed out a whole thing and said, is this easier for you? He goes, yeah, it's really it is. Oh, interesting. Uh, so I don't know. He might have played around with that for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's that. There's, of course, font size. Mm -hmm. we, we talked about last week, uh, both on the paper you're using, yeah. and you mentioned on the screen, that can always be adjusted. And, you know, the writing on paper, it, if, if it's just impossible, it's impossible. Right. Uh, you know, it, I always think about, you know, there's a range of brain injury, right? right? On one end is flawless. You know, you have a perfect brain, and there's nobody there. Everybody has brain damage mm -hmm. to some degree. 
And on the other end, you have comatose or mm-hmm. close to it. And, and then there's mobility and there's vision and there's hearing and there's, you know, s- sensory perceptions. There's all sorts of areas. But if you were to say, okay, I have a child who cannot possibly hold a pencil because of extreme cerebral palsy mm-hmm. or spasticity, mm-hmm. you wouldn't expect that child to ever hold a pencil. So you would be completely free of trying to make that happen. But then if you get more in the middle, like, wow, it's really, really, really hard for them, but possible, okay, is it worth trying to force that or not? Mm-hmm. And that's not a decision that anyone other than, you know, the parent generally or, or whoever's in loco parentis would would decide this mm-hmm. is worth trying to do even though it's difficult or no, it really isn't. It's too difficult to ever be easy. And a um, lot of circumstances on that. But I think for the most most part, most of us believe that we... Number one, are grateful we have the ability to write on paper, even if we were dyslexic as a kid, even if we have technology. And we would like our children to go into adulthood with the ability to write on paper. Mm -hmm. Whether they use it or not, that's their question. Okay, so I have a question that I can predict what the answer is going to be. Okay, why don't you do that? And we'll see if you you agree with me. So, So Leanne asks, for low muscle tone kiddos... And for those who are weak of fine motor skills, how do you teach them success in handwriting? How do you help them strengthen the skills they need? And of course, the answer is, well, Leanne, you start with copy work. And you just do it gradually over time, 15 minutes a day, maybe five to 10 words to start with. Maybe even that's too many. But gradually over time, you will be strengthening those fine motor skills. How'd I do? Well, yeah, I would I would just add a little bit to that. That is kind of a situation I have very little experience with, mm. um, at least not knowingly, mm-hmm. like looking at a child and say, oh, he has weak, weak muscles. Mm-hmm. That seems a little odd to me. So I would wonder, I mean, if that is the true diagnosis of low, what was it, low muscle tone or... Exactly right. I would try to look at maybe mm-hmm. some kind of physical therapy that could be done outside of just holding a pen mm-hmm. that would strengthen the muscles that are becoming exhausted mm. by holding a pen. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that I've ever met a person that I was aware that that was the cause of their difficulty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the copy work, probably some, just some basic drawing Now, I would suggest if this child or children in this category, if they like drawing, the problem is not not likely actual muscle tone. It's more like brain-muscle connection. So if they like drawing and their hand doesn't get tired, but they hate putting letters on paper and their hand gets tired almost immediately, there could be a like a motivational, almost like a psychological component. Mm. Like, Mm -hmm. this is going to be so hard, and then you go weak. I'm trying to think of maybe an experience I've had as an adult where my anticipation of the thing causes me to just not be physically inclined to do it. (laughs) And then I try to, you know, get out of it. I think (laughs) I'd be more like that if I were young, Mm -hmm. you know, a child. 
So observe carefully and consider, you know, if indeed any use of utensil on paper is exhausting, consider some, and maybe not even going to a paying a professional, but just researching mm-hmm. physical therapy for fine motor skill and hand muscle development. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's good. That's you, you brought up things that I didn't even consider. Okay, so Beth has a question. She says, how can I set realistic expectations and goals for students with dyslexia? Well, even if she didn't put with dyslexia, mm-hmm. it would be a good question. It would be, yep. wouldn't it? And of course, it, it sounds kind of like this might be a person teaching other people's children as well, Mm because there's that responsibility. So maybe she's working in a a five-day-a-week school. Maybe she's in a a hybrid type of school program. I don't know. Uh, Maybe she's just thinking about her own kids. But the word expectation, uh, again, takes us back to the four deadly errors, one of which, the last of which, is over-expectation. Yep, exactly. And in that, I kind of unpack this idea of our compelling need to compare children with each other, that our whole system is based on you are approximately the same age, therefore you should have approximately the same ability, and that's how we're going to divide and, and grade and mm-hmm. give you feedback and all that. What a lot of people discover after sometimes a short time, sometimes years mm-hmm. of homeschooling, is that it's possible to get free from that and have your expectations based on the progress that a child can make. Mm -hmm. And if we could somehow get that into our institutional education model, Mm. then things might improve. But in order to teach kids efficiently, we might have to stop age segregating them and, and put them in different groupings. But that idea of, okay, you know, child is 12 years old, there's no benefit really in comparing that child with another child or an average group expectation of Mm -hmm. 12-year-olds. There's no benefit to him because if you say, okay, well, he's, quote, behind in this or that area, what does that even tell you? It's not going to help you any more than if you didn't think that. I mean, I suppose it might motivate you out of desperation, but that's never a good motivation anyway. You know, if you say, oh, this child is ahead, well, that's not necessarily helpful either. So what we need to try and do, I believe, and this is for all teachers and, you know, teaching helpers and tutors and parents is to say, okay, what does this child know and and what can they do? And look at different areas, whether it's reading, writing, or math, and say, okay, What's the next step for, mm-hmm. for him? What's the next thing for her? And do that and see, okay, is that progress? And then, okay, what's the next step? Okay, what's the next step? This is, of course, what Mrs. Ingham was always trying to help us see, mm-hmm. that the best teaching will always be to teach at the point of need. Mm-hmm. And when you teach Outside that, you know, and sometimes it's called the proximal zone, right? You you lose kids, but that's most easily done on a customizable, individualized basis, right? Or in groupings where they actually are grouped by experience, ability, and aptitude rather than by approximate age. I do know, as you have seen, uh, that with our writing system, 
it allows teachers to do that. So we can take the kids who are having a rough time with whatever it is and say, okay, I'm just going to cut a couple things off your checklist or I'm going to give you a slightly different source text mm-hmm. because the most important thing that I see you know, is we want these students to be challenged and successful at their level. And if that level is different than someone else in the group, well, so be it. Right. The idea that all children, by merit of being born within nine months of each other, should do the same thing in the same way according to the same schedule, and that determines success or failure. I mean, it's not even logical. It doesn't have any common sense, and yet we, we're steeped in it. Mm -hmm. How how do we even escape? And that's the conversation that we love to have here. Yes, it's true. (laughs) It's true. All right. I have another question. This is from Zainab. She says, or maybe it's he, is it really okay to take your time with this program for an older child? And then she says, qualifying an older child as a 10-year-old, (laughs) which in our our camp would be actually pretty young. young. Yeah. (laughs) She can only do so much writing, like maximum of 20 minutes, and she begins to become extremely frustrated. I'm going very slowly. I just don't want her to feel like she is behind her peers. Well, there's uh, several things to unpack there. Uh, The first thing is, yes, it is better to go too slow than too fast. Mm -hmm. So if you had to err, err on the side of going too slow. Second thing would be last week's podcast you know, I did talk a little bit about that motivation mm-hmm. uh, idea mm-hmm. where when something is tough or tiring, in particular tiring, you want to really stop that before you reach kind of your maxed out state. Exactly. And that's true, whether it's sports or, mm-hmm. you know, playing a musical instrument or writing or any anything, really. Meetings, perhaps. (laughs) So, you know, listeners could revisit that because Mm -hmm. I think it's a very important point. Mm -hmm. And and so, yes, don't worry about speed. The second thing is, you know, I'd be curious to know how is this child comparing herself with her peers? Is she in a school? Does she go to a hybrid school? Is she in a co-op? Are the kids all age segregated? Are they age integrated? Does she have an imagination that needs to be maybe corrected? So or maybe it, it's actually the parent that's concerned about it. And, and it well could yeah. be. Yeah, mm-hmm. it well could be a projection. And I haven't met a lot of 10-year-olds who are, who are that concerned. I, that starts to come in, I think, maybe 10 and up. But mm-hmm. it's possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes what you do have to do uh, with with a kind of adolescent or pre-adolescent kid is you have to have several. You can't just accomplish this in one heart-to-heart. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a message, uh, a gospel message. It's mm-hmm. a good news message, but it needs to be repeated <laughs> mm-hmm. um, many times as kids are growing, which is, you know, it's okay that we are all different. That's the way we were made. Mm-hmm. That, And you have strengths that other people don't have. And there are other people who have strengths that you don't have. And there's no, there's no reason and certainly no benefit to be constantly comparing ourselves with other people. Yeah. And that's a tough lesson to learn. I think in my life, I didn't really get that 
until I was a late teenager. Mm. But I remember the moment I got it, it was so freeing. And, and the other thing I realized, you know how you grow up and you're like so worried about what other people think about you? <laughs> and I hit this moment, I don't remember, it's late, late teens. And I just thought, if everybody's thinking what they're so worried about what other people are thinking about them, nobody's actually thinking about me. Right. Exactly. And so, you know, I think probably my parents tried to drop hints like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, in a case where uh, academics is involved, you know, you just want to be very intentional and yeah. say, it's great that you have strengths and weaknesses because strengths are your blessing, weaknesses are your challenge. Right. And other people's are different. Right. So let's, hey, let's embrace diversity in that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think think so often we, especially when, you know, speaking to this group, and you and I have had this conversation uh, in the past about the importance of focusing on strengths. Because when you focus on your strengths, you're going to get better. And you're going to be the best version of yourself that you can possibly be. If you focus on your weaknesses, you're going to become, at best, mediocre. Right. And, and you f- kind of lose motivation yeah. after a while. Right. Whereas what's interesting is if you do have a strength and you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm improving mm-hmm. little by little, then you are motivated to apply that same effort to a weak point. Right. Because you, you have hope. Right. Uh, whereas if you're only trying to shore up a weak point, it's so easy to get discouraged. Right, right. And because it's harder to see any progress. Right. And, you know, I, I, I say that with great passion, but yet I feel like kind of what you said, you're shoring up the weak areas as much as you can. I, I used to say to people, you know, about one of my sons who, you know, was definitely ADHD growing up. I wanted him to learn to stand in line at the DMV <laughs> just like everyone else without cutting out a line or thinking that it was not allowed for him. He didn't have to stand in that line. Right. Of course, this was in Southern California where lines at the DMV were, were very really normal. <laughs> not like here in Oklahoma where you can just walk right up the window. It's kind of cool. Don't give away our great secrets oh, here. No, but we, we, we want everyone to move to Oklahoma. Okay, it's but perfect. with a caveat, I saw this great meme. It said, Californians, when you move here, remember you are refugees not missionaries. Exactly right. <laughs> Signed, Texas. So, oh, right. I mean, oh, same thing would yeah, apply. Same, same okay, would we'll take apply. the refugees, but yes. we want to keep Oklahoma, Oklahoma. All that to say, yes, shore up the weaknesses, but right. really focus on their strengths because there are so many. So yeah, many. So, and, so diverse. And then you look at, you know, people. In fact, uh, when my son Chris did the podcast mm-hmm. on, on uh, dyslexia, he had actually collected up some research to show that some of the well-known and extremely successful entrepreneurs, yep. as m- well as many other entrepreneurs who are not well-known, were like that. ADD, yep. ADHD, dyslexia, maybe, you know, both of those things going on. But what happens is, you know, they still gain skills and then there's certain advantages yep. that you can capitalize on. Exactly. Like uh, public speaking, if you're nervous, adrenaline. Yes. You can transform that into energy. Yes. All right. I think we've got time for one last question. All right. One last one. Okay. This is from Joanna. She says, how do I help my 10-year-old 
He already knows phonics, but he skips words and sounds when reading, and gets frustrated when I correct him. If he slows down, he can read the words and sounds he's skipping. So I don't think the answer is more phonics instruction. I'm just not sure what to do next. So he's reached a point where he realizes that you can understand what you're reading without actually knowing every single word. And of course, when we read fast, we don't necessarily read every single word, or we see chunks of words, and it just gives us a chunk of meaning.、Mm-hmm. So he may be moving kind of to this point where I can do this so much faster and better and easier if I just don't have to say everything.、Mm-hmm. So I, I wouldn't fault him entirely. But I do think about the different types of reading exercises that we can give our children, especially at this age. Sure. The reading out loud that we as parents and teachers do for our children is modeling. And、mm-hmm. I was going to say, I hope that this mom is still reading,、mm-hmm. you know, bedtime stories or reading out loud to all the kids in her yeah. family. Yeah, because that's that's going to give him many benefits. And you're modeling, hey, this is part of life as we read out loud to each other. It would be convenient if this child had a sibling a year or two younger,、mm-hmm. and then. It could be like a responsibility he has every day to read to a younger sibling,、mm-hmm. and then he would choose books that are on the simple end of what's possible, and and he's less likely to skip words、mm-hmm. if he's got an audience. Right. An extension of that would be, you know, any relative that you could, you know, do a Zoom or Skype or、mm-hmm. video call, FaceTime, whatever. And he could kind of show off his reading a little bit.、Mm-hmm. I think, like anything, as soon as you have a, an audience, you take it a bit more seriously、mm-hmm. than if you don't. And I wouldn't worry too terribly much about this problem.、Mm-hmm. I think this child would benefit from memorizing poetry because memorizing poetry will require attentiveness to every single word. Yep, it will enhance. The habit of learning the meaning of words, so that when you recite the poetry, you kind of better know what you're saying,、mm-hmm. and you sound smarter. And all ten-year-old boys want to sound smart, <laughs> and girls, and girls, yeah. And it it will create kind of a verbal fluency.、Mm-hmm. He'll hear himself speaking in complete phrases and clauses and cadences and sentences that hopefully then will encourage him if he's reading. Out loud from text.、Mm-hmm. Yep. So those are some thoughts, but、mm-hmm. again, you know, I it all the questions I can only imagine. I can't give a good specific personal. Okay, I've had an hour to hang out with this kid, and now、right. I have some better observations.、Right. So just take all my advice with a. <laughs> uh, a The salt of generalization. <laughs> There you go. Well, thank you, Andrew. This has been super helpful, and thanks for allowing us to cut this into two parts. Sure. All right. Till next time. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. 
If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.